Hello, and thank you so much for listening to Renaissance Man, Philip Brunel, and music. You, uh, you might have noticed that we haven't aired a new episode in quite a while, and, well, the truth is, life gets chaotic with new homes and new jobs and all of that. But the good news is that we are back at it, and we are back to the topic of improvisation. This episode is part two of three, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to episode 11, which was recorded about a year ago. It will give you a good foundation in terms of theory and history as it relates to improvisation in classical music. In this episode, we're going to focus on improvisation in the realm of opera, and we've got a very special guest, Vern Sutton. Now, Philip and Vern go way, way back. In fact, much further back than Philip and I go back. The two of them worked together at Minnesota Opera. Uh, They met at the University of Minnesota. You'll hear all about it during the episode, including some improvisations that they did on the spot for us to help demonstrate various uh, approaches and techniques. Uh, This was recorded at Plymouth Congregational Church in the Howard Kahn Theater on July 11th, 2019. Here is episode 14. Hello, you're listening to Renaissance Man, a podcast featuring my father, Philip Brunel, as he talks about the world of music. When, when, when did you guys first, you met at Minnesota Opera? We met at the university. University. When did you first perform together? I don't, I have trouble pinning that one down. We met at the university though. He was an undergraduate. And I first encountered him when he, we, he accompanied Orpheus in the Underworld, was it? Yes. And um, we didn't see, but coming backstage, the piano was backstage, something that little downstairs in, the, in Scott Hall. And I was just amazed just hearing him. I, got, I, I didn't know who he was, and I kept saying, Who's the pianist? Who's the pianist? Um, I finally found out. And then we met various, we did various things there. And he was a student of mine in my vocal literature class. What was it I made you sing? Um, yes, you did. You made me sing in, for the, my final. Yes. Oh. I said, no, no, no. I, I will just be here to accompany all the other students. And you said, oh, no, no, no. This is a vocal lit class. You will sing. Yeah. Yes. What, did, what did you sing? I sang a, a, some, a Schubert, Schubert song cycle. Yeah. I yes. bet it was gorgeous. It was. It was, it was very was... impressive. Yeah. For a pianist. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's like it's like those uh, acting for director classes. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when did you first improvise together? Would it have been when we had that year of studying improv at Minnesota Opera? Because we knew in the spring we were going to do a piece called "The Newest Opera in the World," and we knew that we had to learn styles. That is, the eight singers had to learn styles. And so the, the whole thing was to spend some weeks uh, on, say, Baroque style, and then some weeks 
uh, working on um, classical or romantic style, contemporary, so that, and of course what we found was that of the eight singers, some, this was an easier exercise than others to do, mm -hmm. and some people, like Vern, could just morph into each style and be fine, and some why, people... Why, is, why do you think that is, though? Well, I think people have different gifts and different approaches to things, and, and, and people, even they weren't good at style, they were, some people were really very good at certain kinds of improvisation. Mm -hmm. Barbara could take a single word and make an, an aria that would last two or three minutes out of that word. Mm -hmm. And you, you didn't care because uh, it was lovely. And, yeah. and Janice Hardy, wasn't her environments? She was very good at environment, uh, but Yale was the best at environment. Okay. Um, but, and, wh and what do you mean by environment? Well, when you come onto a blank stage and have to, if you're the first one out there, you have to set the stage because mm -hmm. you have no scenery. And so you don't even know, we don't know, as an audience, don't even know where you are. Mm -hmm. And so you have to sing about whatever you're doing. You know, the, here, here's the apple tree. Uh, yes, well, but you, you don't, don't do that. You work your apple trees and whatever. Mm -hmm. Yale was very good at that. And I remember one we did in, at Carleton where he went out and we didn't know where we were and it was a cemetery. He told it was a cemetery. And he was going around reading the headstones mm. And finally we find out it's a pet cemetery because he's <laughs> fluffy and Fido. And, and so we're all back there figuring, we have to listen because if we're going into a cemetery, we needed to know why or where we were. And so we had all had to shift gears immediately. Yeah. Um, but that was, you could never leave the wings. You had to stay in the wings all the time when we were improvising because you had to know who, whatever anybody said that would change the story. And this was in the newest opera in the this world. This was newest opera in the world. Right, but right. we did this just as exercises too. Right. So your first time, and when was it, 16? No, uh, 70s. 70s, it was in the 70s. In, in the, the 70s. 70s. So you, you, the, the idea is, hey, in a couple of months, we're gonna do this thing called the newest opera in the world. It's gonna be completely made up every night. But there was also, the audience made the choices because there was a large, um, what do we call like that? Wheel of, of fortune. Wheel, wheel fortune. of fortune mm -hmm. that spun. Right. And that decided things like a location uh, and it decided who was going to be like the hero and the heroine and who was going to be the villain. And I mean, you know. Right. And so from night to night, your role could change. Yeah. Right. And from act to act, we changed styles depending mm -hmm. on what the wheel said. Right. So you might be in a Renaissance kind of style, and then you're not. Yes, you might go next. The next act you had to do is impression, French impressionistic, or whatever. Yeah. So you know this is coming, and you've got a group of people of the eight, and 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 the only music, instrumentalist was you, right, Philip? With two pianos. Yeah. Oh, two pianos. How many of you had had experience improvising before? Because because you had done church organ improvising, right. in part from experiencing it, seeing it and realizing right. I have to fill in the, <laughs> there's a quiet part here, I have to do right. something. How many of the singers had had experience improvising before? I don't, I don't know that any of us had really improvised, at least not in any kind of serious way. Mm -hmm. um, had you studied it? No, I had been intrigued by it. Mm -hmm. 
but I I never studied improvisation, but it was a matter of knowing different kinds of styles, and if you've sung a lot of different kinds of music, uh, you get a feeling for what it's like, and then you try to sort of mimic that. Yeah, you can take bits and pieces. You can take bits and pieces. Right. And well, and the fact that he taught uh, a class in, in song repertoire, mm -hmm. he then was more likely, he knew more about styles than folks that just mm -hmm. had never, you know, right. delved into it that deeply. Now, in our previous conversation, you talked a little bit about Handel and some of the oratorios and the mm -hmm. idea of the, um, the ornamentalists, mm -hmm. you know. Was that something that you referenced in terms of, you said you never studied it, but was that well, something that this was taught in schools or? No, I think all of us, one of the things that most singers have who are training, do sing, is Handel mm -hmm. and Bach. And we, we do learn some Baroque things. Right. And... Uh, that wasn't that wasn't so bad because it's tonal. It has a structure to it. The worst thing though is the da capo aria, mm -hmm. because you're making something up in the A section. Then you go to the B section of something else, but you've got to go back to the A section and repeat <laughs> it with ornamentation. Well, you have to remember what you did in A. Right. Uh, I was very bad at that. We were all bad at that, except for the baritone, the tall uh, baritone. Ed. No, no. Barry? No. No. Uh, I'll think of it in a minute. But he was very good at remembering what he had sung the first time around. The rest of us were not. Right. It sounds like there are there are some rules around around improvisation. Depending which style you're singing, yeah. Yeah. And so the preparation was as a group developing kind of a consensus around, remember, when we're doing this style, mm -hmm. the rules are X, Y, and Z versus... Yes. Yeah, and we did we did exercises in those styles. Well, like what? Well, we would do impressionistic. Expressionistic, I like the best because you can make up anything you want to do. Um, but uh, impressionistic, uh, we would do. We even did the Dacapo Arias. We tried them. We 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 sang through all kinds of styles. But we also tried, you know. Uh, okay, let me give you a word, and then. Just make something up about, just sing about this word. You could use other words, but you know, it would be like uh, saying bell. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, now I have to sing about a bell, mm -hmm. or I'm gonna sing about a snake, or it could be just whatever, but you know, a word. Well, that... give me an example. I'm, 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 if the word is bell, and if you're in you know, more of a, an older, more, more Baroque style, what do you, where do you begin? <laughs> And what are you referencing? What am I referencing? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about where Vern's going to go with a bell. <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah, but, but you're playing notes and you're playing harmony based on... The period. You asked for Baroque. Okay. So I started there. But what, in a specific composer or a piece of music? Like... No, I'm just thinking more generally. Generally. I could, I could be specific, but I'm just doing more general. So mm -hmm. if I went... Oh, uh -huh. 
going through your mind as you, (laughs) you're clearly, I mean, as I'm looking at you, you're clearly listening to each other. Oh, you have to do that. Yes, that's that's essential. (laughs) But, but, um, and I'm I'm putting myself in the, in in the shoes of someone who's never improvised before. Um, I mean, I have a degree in jazz, so I've done plenty of improvising, but help, help the, the lay person understand as you're choosing those notes, as you're choosing the words the, in the distance, etc., how? Where, does it come from somewhere? Not necessarily. I just pulled it up. And I, I'm listening very closely to what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And I know he's listening to me mm-hmm. because we're each going to do suspensions along the way in this style. Mm-hmm. In this style. And do we... And that means one of us is responsible for maybe changing the harmonic structure. Mm. And we're listening to see which one's going to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, but we've done this for decades, so. It's right. <laughs> well, for me, listening to Vern or to any other singer doing it, uh, and I, you know, start out in a key, and I mean, you've got lots of possibilities. At the same time, I'm grateful that I have perfect pitch, so mm-hmm. I know what they're doing and I can go if somebody moves into a, a note that's not in that particular chord and they would ah okay he's gone there I can I can go with them mm-hmm. and and we can we can move on from that point right so what you just did is this sort of activity uh, taught in schools primarily I mean you've worked at the University of Minnesota for years and you've been at plenty you've both been at plenty of in the plenty of music schools, is this taught generally? Generally, no. No. Why uh, not? I um, because um, I think most people. Um, I don't. I, I don't know why it's not. I think most people are afraid to do it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a real vulnerability because you can go completely haywire with it. Yeah. Um, well, it's the same with with stand-up comedy yeah. or, or improv acting. Yeah. You know. And but and I think most people in our field are more comfortable with the notes on the page mm-hmm. rather than making stuff up. Um, but it's, I found it very good for instructors. I used it when I, did, uh, when I directed the opera workshop, and we improvised. I, we improvised little scenes because my students had seen us do it with the opera company, so they knew what kind of thing it was. Right. And they, they were curious about doing it. Right. Some of them were very good, others of them were just real disasters. What do you, what do you, do you learn anything in the practice of improvisation that you can't learn studying written material? Well, I, what I learned was uh, 
to really pay attention to what your other people are doing on the stage. Mm -hmm. You need to do that anyway, but a lot of singers don't do that. They get so involved with what they're doing mm -hmm. that, uh, and it, so it creates ensemble. It's a great ensemble exercise mm -hmm. because you have to trust who you're with mm -hmm. in order to, to make anything of this. And for me, it would be my diligence of remembering uh, what each style needs to sound like so that I can, because I'm going to be the one to give that kind of information to the singer. Mm -hmm. I would say, however, at the end of the day, the most important word that re reflects what we're doing is trust. Mm -hmm. Totally. I trust Vern, Vern trusts me, here we go. Right. You know, you're not going to go off by yourself and say, I hope he can find me. You know, that is, that is not going to help no. anybody. That is not ensemble. That is not ensemble. Yeah. And, and so we're familiar with improvisation, obviously, in, in jazz and, and on stage with comedy. Um, but it all, as, we, as we discussed earlier, it's, it was a kind of an expectation in, in some forms of music with ornamentation and, and, and others. Who was famous for it? I mean, we're, we're historically in, in the realm of art, song, and classical music and opera, were there figures that were no, like they were known as, as, as leading improvisers? Well, it wasn't thought of as improvisation in that sense. It would be more, as Vern was saying earlier, when you talk about Baroque music and then you had to have a repeat of the opening section, and that became uh, where you had to improvise, but remembering uh, what you had done. And it was more, I think, what they would have referred to as ornamentation, mm -hmm. that when they went back and did it. So people who were great singers of that age uh, were the ones who could uh, ornament. So that if you had a very um, simple aria, uh, well, I'll give you an example. Say you're doing Messiah and you have uh, an aria there and it comes around a second time, you know, who were the people that knew if you were singing, he was despised? And it came around the second time, who knew how to go, you know? kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it was the same basic melody, but you had added ornamentation to it. Mm -hmm. and, and that was part and parcel of, of how that music mm -hmm. was written and how it was performed right. in, in the period. And, and obviously in that period, there were people who did it better than other people, right. just as right. it is today. You had talked earlier about kind of getting together. I, I, talk to me a little bit about the rigor of of rehearsing something which is meant to be spontaneous. Like, you get together in the room, you've got six, eight hours, what's the, what, how do you break it up? How do you divide the time? How do you, how do you structurally organize something which is meant to be kind of? Well, we started by singing actual, let's say during Baroque, actual Baroque arias, so the people in their brain had, knew what was going on, and then it would be a matter of you know, at some point, several days later, putting the music down and trying to see if we could recreate Baroque arias right. 
but now without holding any music. So it's, it's a bit of a muscle memory, right? Kind of develop what of a is style. a style memory of, okay, Baroque equals these kinds of notes, these kinds of inflections. Yeah. I mean, if I, <laughs> having done that, if they had just all been singing He Was Despised, I wouldn't then say, okay, now try to do that without it. I would have gone in a totally different direction. go off in some other direction rather than saying oh you can imitate he was despised that that's not what it was mm -hmm. is there anything sort of more challenging than not when you're you've got eight singers and you're all trying to like okay now we need to learn this how many styles did you learn well on the wheel we had baroque and we had did we have renaissance we had no we didn't have renaissance no we had baroque and we had um classical um, what did you mean by classical? Mozart and okay. Haydn. And we had bel canto. Bel canto. And we had bel, Italian bel canto. You know, Verdi and Donizetti and that whole period. Mm -hmm. right. And then we had French Impressionism. Mm -hmm. We had uh, German Expressionism. Mm -hmm. uh, we had musical so, theater. Yeah, we had romantic, like, you know, like, say, Tchaikovsky, right, yes. you know, mm -hmm. all that. So yeah. those were all on the wheel that got spun. Right. And so as, as a team, you're just kind of waiting. It's like, okay, we're going to do, do romantic, all right, for some part of the show. And, and then what, what would happen next? And, and it, it was, the, was the libretto, the storyline compl also completely? We made it up as we went along. And, and how do you rehearse for that? How do you kind of practice that sort of, because you're kind of doing a, a multiple level, you know, it's like yes. four-dimensional chess. Yes, you cannot go back to the dressing room. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, how, how do you get ready for this? So you go through all the different styles so that everybody's aware of romantic. Okay, romantic stuff is generally sounds like this. And you've got kind of uh, stereotypes, uh, examples in your brain. How do you rehearse uh, the story-making side of it? Well, you don't, what you do is you just do these exercises. There's no rehearsing because you're going out there and improvising. Right. So, but what we would do is uh, people would throw a certain a style at us mm -hmm. and a situation and we would have to do it. Mm -hmm. So it became like an improv, uh, just a regular improv acting exercise, mm -hmm. except that we were singing a specific style usually. Uh, sometimes we would uh, start talking and Wesley would let us just talk for a while and he, we'd get to a, like an end of a sentence and he would say, aria. And then from then on, we had to carry on that, whatever we were talking about, mm -hmm. but it had to be an aria instead of mm -hmm. just talking. And also, uh, of course, there were times in which we crashed. Oh yeah, <laughs> just yeah, didn't... you learn, you have to learn to, to have some bad, some bad days. Oh yeah, we had sometimes, it just, yeah. it just stopped. We went, this is not working. Well, all, all art, has that in it, right? Yes, particularly if you're just making it up on the spot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And did you also think about, um, I know from, from having taken some improv acting classes, the role of emotion. Were you deliberate about making those sorts of choices? Or were they kind of put upon you? Well, they could be because emotion might de develop by one character for another one. Mm -hmm. um, that's why you had to listen very carefully. Mm -hmm to what the, was going on. We also had a signal. Uh, if they, your we, Our characters were always our own names. Mm -hmm. 
right. we didn't have. And so if you heard your name repeated three times within a fairly short amount of time, that meant get your butt out on the stage, we need you. <laughs> and um, we also had times, it depended, Barbara was one. You never, she, I mean, she was wonderful, but she was also bizarre. And so you never knew where her aria might take her. And you might, and, and also its length. I mean, I might very nicely bring us to a cadence point, but Barbara wasn't ready for a cadence. <laughs> she just kept going and, okay, here we go. And you just, you did not know. And sometimes you thought the story was just about to end. We were all set. And then she'd bring in some new dramatic element that sent this story off. I mean, mm. it would be like if you were in the courtroom and you were just about to finish your statement and you were ready to go. And suddenly Barbara would say, and it's Halloween. And you go, what? <laughs> and suddenly we're, I, I don't know what she would have said, but it was totally, right. okay, now we got to move it on. Yeah. Now all of a sudden we need some spooky chords. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you never knew. Oh, she changed, she changed the storyline every time. And sometimes from scene to scene, she'd be a different character. Yeah. Yep. And well, it, you, if you go and see, you know, the, any of the Second City improvisers mm -hmm. in Chicago, you know, two different actors can be six different people. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the, the, the memory of when I'm standing over there, I'm Frank, but when I'm standing over here, I'm, I'm Barbara, right? And, mm -hmm. and that sort of skill is, is rather, rather impressive. Yeah. The newest opera in the world, how many performances did you do? Well, it spread out over a year. I don't actually know. And we did, we, 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 we took it on it. tour as well. Oh, so okay. it wasn't just here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we, a couple dozen. Yes. And yeah. there is a video of it. Someone has a video of it. Hmm. WCCO did a video of one of the ones that we did in the cities. Oh. And I've seen right. it once. I don't know who actually has a copy we'll of it. it up. But that's the one where... I was the villain, I remember that. Mm -hmm. But the stories we made up were very much like really bad operas <laughs> because they went places that you wouldn't even think of going. And if you stayed in the style, I think that was, that was the, I, the good thing that held us together. No matter what the storyline uh, took us, if we stayed in the style, mm -hmm. and, and, and your father and Bill were at the, at the uh, keyboards were very good at keeping us in the style. How did you handle the two pianos? Was there just sort of like, uh, I'll go low, you go high, or, or, or you just will take turns, or what's the, what are the rules of engagement with two pianos? I mean, some of it was taking turns. There would be times when, you know, I might be in a style and go, I am drying up. I can't figure out what, you know, and I'd look and, okay, Bill would take over or vice versa. But we also did things together because we both had perfect pitch so we could hear what each other was doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, again, it mm -hmm. was trust mm -hmm. all the time that right. we could make that work. And what became a challenge was as you were coming to the end of a scene in which there were multiple people on stage and finding a way that people knew that one part was going to be the melody that would be just keep going and others were doing you know little ejaculations of sound that that, that um, were you know I'm tired 
I'm tired, mm -hmm. I'm hungry, whatever, mm -hmm. as opposed to someone else going, oh, to get back home. And they were singing long phrases, you mm -hmm. know. So he had to figure out how you could make those all work while they were, and they also just had to be listening. In those kind of sections, you didn't want to have rapid changes of chords. You really needed to stay in a rather stately manner, because that's the way they are in opera, mm -hmm. when you get these big choruses that come to the conclusion of a scene. Hmm. Was, was this approach that you, you originally developed for Minnesota Opera, but then, as I recall, taking it out to the schools, was that just an extension of mm -hmm. it? And sure. It was, a, it was an exercise, really. It started as an exercise yeah. to build a kind of uh, camaraderie an understanding of one another's artistry and respect for one another's strengths. Mm -hmm. Because you found out that some people were good at this and other people were better at that. Right. So if you're, if you're building a house, it's like, how about you do the framing and I'll do the, yeah, the plaster work, etc. That's, yeah. that's what it was because, well, Janice was very good at environments as with as Yale. They were really good at just setting the scene out of no, build, creating a scene with absolutely no scenery. Mm -hmm. And, um, Barbara was very good at long kind of romantic singing and um, very beautiful bel canto kinds of things. She could, and she could be, take one word and make it last for three or four minutes. So here's an example. So you're in a school and it's just Vern and some, and he's asking, what is my occupation? And uh, the kid says, oh, you're a garbage man. And this could have happened. Every day, every day, in my truck I'm on the way. I'll be there, I'll be there soon. Just put your bag on the back porch, please. started and ended the same. I moved somewhere in the begin in the middle and just kind of took it from there. <laughs> you know, right. But I'll tell you what this guy could do, which was amazing, is rhyme. Oh yes. So you know if he needed to rhyme, he found a word that he found a word that he could use that would make it all come back at the you know and make it come through as opposed to just having any old word happen all the way through. And I see we're now having a photo taken there. <laughs> okay, anyway. And then you would go do this with Garrison as well, right? On, was it uh, Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. We yes. did our Thanksgiving cantata, cantata. At, with Janice and well, Vernon. Now, now, did using the word cantata 
prescribe a, a, an approach or did you just sort of use the word because no. it sounded it meant it had several different sections to it mm -hmm. and yeah. the people in the audience filled out little slips of what they were thankful for as mm -hmm. they walked into the theater they were given a little piece of paper and told to write down something you were thankful for right and so then as the show began garrison would say we now have these 800 pieces of paper and philip and Vern and Janice are going to go down the basement and create from these page, page, pieces of paper a cantata for Thanksgiving. How, how much time did you have? Not enough. <laughs> no, but that, that, they, were, they submitted their things as they came in, and we were given them right after the first couple of introductory songs. We went downstairs, and by the last half hour, we had to be ready with uh, a cantata and what we did is we took them and we sorted them, these little pieces of paper, I'm thankful for my dog or whatever you want. By topics, yeah. you know. Topics. There might be a food section. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and then your father would very quickly type them. You know how fast he is at the typewriter. Yeah. He would type them up and they would print them out. Mm. And we just, we put them in little stanzas mm -hmm. And we made them some into recitatives, and others were arias or duets. Mm -hmm. And you'd kind of go, I'll take this, you take that. We, we sort yeah, we decided. And sometimes it was just off the cuff as we were at the microphones who would do what. And how would you decide the musical style? Like the, you, okay, so you would just pick, hey, I we're going to do it. This I is think gonna this be is where we're going to go now. And you know, all of a sudden. That or. Who knew? I, I depended. I saw these. I saw these words coming. I said, "This is where we're going." I, oh, okay. So, just there were some neurons fired in your brain that said these words equal this style of yeah. music. Yeah, because all of a sudden, you know, there, one whole topic could be about relationships, mm -hmm. and another one could be mm -hmm. about uh, my favorite relatives or something. I, so it just. I said, I think this is where we need to go. Mm -hmm. Another thing you have to be always careful for was, was what key you were going to do it in so that these folks weren't stuck way up in extremis and having to try to sing way high, where, as you all know, there's a certain point in range in which you're not going to understand what people are singing because it's way too high. Mm -hmm. And so you want to just find a way that we stay in a range that works for people. Or too fast. Yeah. Where, where, you know, it just becomes unclear. Yeah. Right. So anyway, all of those things became, and this was to be a work that usually had the last 15 minutes or mm -hmm. so, 15 or 20. This was not a two minute little piece. Right. So. No, I, I, my memory of the old theater and because. You're speaking about with the cold basement, aren't the, you? No, where we the were. The cold and wet basement. Oh, yes. Um, the cold and wet basement with the, the puddle of water in the corner. Yes. And the bare light bulbs. Yes. Um, and I remember kind of going down and seeing you guys and just sort of as a kid thinking, that doesn't look like fun. They look harried. It'd probably be good for me to just go and stand backstage and leave them alone. It's just <laughs> the tension of creation of three well, and adults. Because there's a the clock yeah, is ticking. Right. Mm -hmm. We got to be upstairs at this time, right. ready to yeah. to make the thing up, to make it go. 
Those things are in the archives, you know. Are they? Yeah, and Peter Ostrusko is now going through all the music in the archives of the old Purim Companions. Is he? Yeah, he's trying to put together uh, a kind of catalog of what we, of what we did, of what everybody did hmm. musically on so the early shows. I saw him at the Argento program. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so in theory, we could we could unearth uh, a couple of Thanksgiving oratorios. And well, I, in in theory, you should be able to do it. And some of us still, I still have little little tapes of the shows. Yep. Because they used to make me tapes of any show that I was on. So I've got these drawers full of tapes. Um, cassettes. Cassettes. Yes. Cassettes, yeah. Yeah. Huh. But uh, and I'm sure those are there's. And several of those, I have good memories of several of them. I thought several of them were better than some of the other oh, Thanksgivings. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. It depends on what we were given. That's some, for some sure. Some audiences are just not very creative about what they're thankful for. You know, the, it's like if you ask someone what kind of character you want to be, I'll give you an example. If you said to Janice, okay, you get to be a housewife. Well, that's real nice. I mean, right. I mean, she did it. She'd make up something. But how much more interesting if you said you are a witch? Ooh, you know, that gave her <laughs> some room to move. So, right. and some audiences just weren't very creative about what they came up with. Right. Yeah, it can make it a challenge. How do you react when the energy is low, or you know, the audience isn't really giving you any feedback? As an improviser, what do you, what do you do? Well, you better get out there and do it. That's because if you've lost your audience, um, you're, you're through. Right. I mean, it's a cooperative thing, and at least I feel because I, I not only felt the energy from my colleagues and from, and from the pit, but uh, I really felt the connection with the audience. They were rooting for us for the most point. Oh yeah, and uh, and they were enjoying seeing us get up there, and perhaps make fools of ourselves. Right. Uh, there was always that risk, right? But well, there was also why, why do people go to car races? You, yes. maybe there'll be a crash, right? <laughs> you know. But there is also the kind of fun when you don't have a crash, but it really works, or a near miss. And yes, and um, so that's where learning to read audiences, and I feed on audiences. Mm -hmm. I've always, I, I feel a connection that goes back and forth between me and an audience. And the only time, the only audience I ever have, a, I have a specific memory of, but was once I think you were, I think you played for us. Janice and I sang for the National Convention of the Voice Teachers Organization. That was me, yes. In a hotel here mm -hmm. in the Twin Cities, and when they had their convention here, I have never felt a more a, a, a less receptive audience. <laughs> it was a room an auditorium full of voice teachers sitting there with their arms closed and say, you know, without, I mean, there was so little reaction that we all three felt this kind of, whoa. Yeah. And I, I, I that's the most hostile audience I've ever performed for. I, I like audiences a little more accepting than. Well, well that's <laughs> ironic, isn't it? It is. You'd think they'd be supportive. Or, or yeah, or at, at least kind of in on the fun. No, they were in on the, Prove it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. And also, okay, we're voice teachers. You are singers. Right. Show us what you have. Yeah. You know, yeah that's yeah. that kind of. Yeah. Huh. No. It, but th that well, was scary. I, I, so the, the other thing I would just mention that that also happened at every performance was that I would 
play an overture. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever style we were starting in, I would play an overture, which gave them a little time to start figuring out, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to make this scene work? Who goes can first? You, yeah. Can you get it going? Again, especially if it was, you know, with just Vern and Janice. Mm -hmm. So this would give them, okay, you go out first, I'll come out later, mm -hmm. let's, let's make this work. Another, and so I would do an overture, you know, a couple minutes, uh, enough time to get them to get it going. Uh, there was also, of course, another wonderful thing is, if you really got stuck, the, the word ah is wonderful. <laughs> because you're just going and you're going, I have nothing more to say, ah. And so, you know, a nice long vocalese on ah helped to create. Well, and, and ah could be... Uh, I'm confused. Oh, yes. It could be I'm, I'm impressed. Oh yes, and I'm, it was. I'm, yes. I'm, oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can, a, you can go many directions with it, but it also was a signal to your your comrades on stage that you need help. That help right. was needed. Please, right. get out here. Now, did, did you ever um, ex kind of extract or utilize um, lessons in improvisation from from say jazz or comedy? It was that did you? As improvisers, did you look at other forms of improvisation and say, "Oh, I could, we could take that kind of shtick or bit"? Or I don't remember that. No, no we stuck. We were. We called it the newest opera in the world, and I guess we stayed with operatic styles mm -hmm. and yeah and conventions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, we didn't go and use arias that already existed. Mm. So it wasn't a matter of you know doing something that people would recognize oh, that yeah. way and say, oh yeah, they're just parodying, doing a parody on, on this f old aria. Yeah, you wouldn't take the first eight notes of an existing piece and... No, I mean, the only thing I remember doing in was, you know, if we were doing impressionism and, you know, and so you're, you know, you're doing, you know, kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know, you might let yourself go. but not any more than that. And then you'd go, you go on your way, right. you know, right. So it was never gonna be, I'm gonna play all of Claire de Lune for you and we're but, gonna do it. But it was enough to kind of, for the audience to go, oh. Oh, it's that style. Right. Right. Well, yeah. look, in the same way that you, you might, you know, pretend that you've got a big cowboy hat on and, a, and you know, you, there are other ways of conveying stereotypes or metaphors for people that are, that are useful. We didn't have any costumes that were specific to characters. Mm -hmm. We all always wore our, our costume, whatever it was, a very neutral kind of costume. Mm -hmm. But we, use, we did use hats and other little props that, might, that were available if we needed to, to help create our characters. Yeah. So um, in, in your experience, looking out today uh, in, the, in the world of classical, is there anyone out there today who's doing improvisation that you're aware of? The, I, the only place I know that it might still be going on is in some training programs at universities mm -hmm. because um, Wesley wrote a book mm. based on what we did um, and dedicated it to all of us, actually. Yeah. Uh, what, what was that called? I don't remember the name of it at this point. I don't either. The University of Minnesota well, well, Press actually uh, published it. Yeah, I don't even and, have it. Uh, if I can find it, I'll put a link in the show notes or something. Yeah. And it was, and I was at, uh, I was actually doing a workshop 
at, at a university, and um, the, the student came in and was carrying the book. And, uh, and they said, are, you, I understand you do improvisation. Do you know, uh, do you, have you read this book? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you might look at the picture on the front of the book. Yeah. <laughs> That's me. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm one of the dedic key dedicatees of the. Yeah. Uh, the, the yes, I, 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 I know, I'm familiar with the book. I, I basically helped write it. Yeah. But right. <laughs> Wesley really did write a book based on what we did. Yeah, and and the takeaway was, the the principal point of view of of the book was. Well, it's it's actually trust, learning to trust. And also, you, learning to co uh, coordinate with other people. You have to be able to work with other people in order to make this work. Yeah. And with many opera standard opera singers, cooperation wasn't traditionally a word. Cooperation was not a, something you, you were taught. Right. Uh, I think that's not true anymore. Particularly now, I go to the Met and I see the gorgeous acting that they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no longer park and bark. Mm -hmm. It's just not acceptable anywhere anymore. Right. And, and people are used to working with other people and giving and taking right. as you have to do. But in the old days, it was that not what it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of revolutionary what we did, because nobody else was doing that kind of thing. But because of, of that textbook that, that Wesley wrote, it is now available and is used by some of the opera training programs around right. the country. Yeah. But there isn't uh, Houston or San Francisco or whatever aren't doing the newest opera in the world. Nobody no, no. else, I don't believe anybody else has done the newest opera in the world. <laughs> well, first of all, you'd have to invest the time to yeah. do that. It isn't something that you can in a week no. pull it off. No, you have to build an ensemble yeah. who, of people who trust one another and can work with one another. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's, that takes time. Yeah. Huh. So, so one of the first little exercises we did was uh, where I s would have said, okay, um, let's look at the alphabet. Vern, sing about the letter J. J, what can that mean? J is for jello, not ice cream. J, J is for jelly. I mean, the, the, the doing of it is the doing of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, 
And I don't think anybody's ever done that piece before, and I'm sure no one will ever we'll do, it do it again. again. Right, right. <laughs> the famous yeah. J aria in F minor. Right. Right. But that's, that's, that's the beauty of it, too, right? Is yes. It is, uh, of, it's ephemeral. Yes, and if you were there to see it, to hear yes. it, as we were, then lucky us. <laughs> you know, and if you missed it, you missed it. And, yeah. and maybe you'll catch it next time. I think that's part of the, the, the genius of, of improvised versus sort of written things is, the, you know, one of a kind. Yeah, it won't happen again exactly. Yeah. There, there, there will always be changes. Yeah. Well, thank you both very much for taking the time. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Well, there you go. That was awesome. And it's always a pleasure to hear two masters of any genre dig in and go deep and help us try and understand how it all comes together. So that was episode 14 of Renaissance Man, Philip Burnell and Music. Uh, we're going to be moving into the third and final episode of this particular three-part series on improvisation next. Uh, the third part is going to focus on Philip at the organ. So we'll be recording that soon and getting it out hopefully shortly hopefully by the end of the year and then after that we've got a whole list of other topics that we're going to get into including working with composers working with arrangers uh, we're going to talk about the specifics of directing different voice types for example are there tips and advice that Philip might have with regards to both programming and directing, say, tenors versus altos. And we're going to talk about the 51st season of Vocalescence, which is coming up soon. So please subscribe. Please share this episode with your friends. We'd uh, greatly appreciate more people becoming aware of Renaissance Man, Philip Brunel, and music. Thanks so much.